May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Poopa of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shunryu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his, and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Narcissus Robert Qualiata. I hope I'm saying that right, Robert. Uh, actually, I call him Narcissus, but you know that old calling him Robert. That was long ago. Long ago he was Robert. I mean, over 50 years ago, way back in the past. But, uh, you know, he was a Shunyu Suzuki student. He was um, the first director of the city center building. He is, I would say, probably the uh, considered the greatest uh, stained glass. Uh, or may, I don't like saying the greatest. He is a he is a well recognized stained glass master who's done some incredible projects with stained glass. Now, um, if you go to um, Cuke dot com. And uh, write um, Narcissus, N-A-R-C-I-S-S-U-S, on the site search box. There's a page for him there, and uh, already had a great deal on him. Uh, and um, the top thing for him there on his Cuke page is, oh, he didn't use that page anymore. Uh-oh. Okay. I fixed it. Um, yeah, I went to his website and uh, no, I went to the page for quayanongook.com and um, I clicked on his website that I had there and it was no longer his website. And then I went and uh, found what is his website, narcissusqualiata.com, N A R C I S S U S. Q-U-A-G-L-I-A-T-A dot com. <laughs> it's impressive. And you can learn a lot about him there and see incredible stained glass work he's done. Now, you can see some of his work also on his Cuke uh, page, but the, the work you can see at his website is, you know, <laughs> uh, it's uh, leaps and bounds beyond... Uh, that in terms of presentation. I was just uh, looking at Amazon.com and his books. He's got a book coming out in um, March called Finding Your Own Voice Out. No, it's Finding Your Own Voice and it will be out by the end of March. And uh, But I was looking on, on uh, Amazon He's got this book of poems called Mutant, Poems, Sketches, New Works, 
1968 to 2018, English, Italian, and Spanish editions. Of course, it's got color uh, uh, images in it, so it's uh, $42 marked down from 50. Then there's William Morris Glass Artifact and Art, uh, which he co-authored with uh, Henry. Goldsoller. That's another beautiful book. Then there's um, a book about his work called Narcissus Qualiata, Archetypes and Visions in Light and Glass. And then there's Narcissus Qualiata, Painting with Light, Italian edition, by uh, Hector, by Borel, Hector Rivero. Then there's a book by him here. I'm just reading with this. Stained Glass from Mind to Light, an Inquiry into the Nature of the Medium. Gateways to Dreamy. The Dome of Light. Now that's this fantastic work he did in Taiwan. A Gateway to Dreaming, a tour and the story of the Formosa Boulevard Station at Kaohsiung. Uh, he did this massive ceiling in uh, the, 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 the uh, station, I think a train station in Kaohsiung, a, a big city in uh, Taiwan. And then there's Narcissus Qualiata, Light Fusions, Gateway into the Night and Other Works. Uh, but it's, not by him. So he's got books by him and about him. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty impressive. <laughs> so let's give uh, Narcissus uh, Qualiata a call and see what he has to say. But first, let's have our pause to meditate. So when you hear the bell, hit pause, if you have such a mind, and meditate or whatever, for as long as you wish. And when you're in the right state of mind, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever, and we'll give Narcissus Robert Qualiata a call. Yes. We connected. We did. <laughs> wow. Where are you, in Bali? Yeah. <laughs> good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear your voice. And you're in Mexico. Where in Mexico? I'm in a place called Valle de Bravo, mm -hmm. which is um, uh, it's, it's in the mountains. My house is looking on over a lake two hours west of Mexico City. Mm. I, I have a very beautiful house on a ridge 
with a very big view. It's it's wonderful here. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah. Uh. I used to live in Mexico I, City, so um, I uh, I wish we could come visit you. Yeah, go ahead. I'm here half the year. Uh-huh. The other half, I'm in LA working uh, in a glass studio. Um, but um, more and more, I'm I'm here, and where's, less and less, I'm in LA. Where's your glass studio? It's called Judson Studio. It's not mine. I'm sort of the senior artist that generated this extension into a new way of using glass. So this traditional studio embraced um, my my technology and its using it. It's in South Pasadena. Oh, really? Highland Park. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it has two locations, one in Highland Park and three blocks away across the freeway. Uh, one pen, it's uh, in South Pasadena. Oh, The wow. new part is in South Pasadena. Wow. Yeah. Well, w- what are you working on now? I'm working on, well, I'm working on, uh, I, I teach online a lot. I I am because I'm 80. I am decided to. I have decided to generate a series of class classes online that are an effort to pass on everything I've invented uh, in the field of glass, mm-hmm. so that it can be used, be used by other people. I learned all this stuff because of massive investment that I received from companies and the chance to do large architectural projects. Mm. So individual artists could never, could never afford the, the, the money to do all the testing. So what I'm doing is essentially I'm packaging all the knowledge that I have on gener- generating images with the glass. Mm-hmm. not on the glass, with the glass, in the kilns, and I am creating a language and a syntax. On the side of that, I also am uh, generating uh, an online class called, for instance, Finding Your Own Voice um, and Own It, which is less, it doesn't have anything to do with glass. It has to do it has to do with going from being a confused person who wants to be an artist to having clarity. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to focus on that transition, which is something that, by the way, somebody who who both of us knew very well, which is Suzuki Roshi, um, helped me a lot with. Mm. <laughs> so I I quote him a lot. In this uh, in this uh, online class that I'm just taping as we speak, hmm. I'm doing the video as we speak. I find that area very interesting. In other words, I remember when I was an artist uh, and going to college, and I so badly wanted to be an artist, you know, uh, and I didn't understand a damn thing about art. So mm. I was lost. 
but I loved art, but I was lost. So at some point, I managed to do my first real pieces that were coming that were coming from me. And I remember when that quantum shift happened, um, how different it all felt. And mm. I have taught now for 50 years. And that question has been asked of me so many times. I have students that say, oh, I love to do what I do. But, you know, I'm kind of vague on what my inspiration is, what I want to say, but I love working and I love doing artwork. Mm. So I've been, I've been not answering this question for 50 years <laughs> because, you know, I say, okay, let's talk about composition or let's talk about drawing or let's talk about such a big question, which is how to find yourself. In essence, mm. I always kind of avoided. Uh, occasionally, in one-to-one sessions with special students, I could get into it, but more like uh, personal interviews with students that were long-term students, like students that would do an apprenticeship with me for two years. Mm. With them, yes, I would approach this question, but recently. As I've been teaching my online uh, glass classes, which are basically for a niche of people that love glass and want to make imagery with it, which is a small group of people, I don't know, maybe 10,000 people at the most, um, many of my students, I have had about, so far I have started, uh, I've started a group of in different groups, 520 students uh, who reside in 20 countries. Mm. Um, and and uh, more and more they've been asking me, what do I do about my imagery? Because essentially I'm teaching techniques. I'm not, I don't get into the subject matter. It's like, tell them like, I te- I'm teaching you a language. You guys can write poetry with it or do sports commentary. It's up to you. But a lot of people have been sort of asking me to get into the issue of sort of the, at the source, how do you find that certain something that is so unique about yourself and that it makes, makes sense then to do what you do and you love to do. And so I'm I'm making an effort to produce the scores, which should be ready by the end of March, mm-hmm. go online, and and, um, and uh, so other than you know doing artwork, which I always did that, um, and um, but I have ceased to do my big massive architectural commissions. Uh, I decided that I'm done with that. The biggest one is the Dome of in, in Taiwan. That one is, uh, I guess, in meters, it's 700 and 680 meters square. 
6,000 <laughs> or 7,000 square feet. And it's the main central station um, in, uh, in uh, Kaohsiung for the metro. It covers the concourse level. Um, so, you know, that one is the most famous. I did a small dome in a Michelangelo building in Rome, which is also very relevant. Then I did a lot of artworks that some of them have found their way into major museums over my career. But um, I thought we were going to talk about Suzuki Roshi. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so let's let's go back to to perhaps a topic that you might want to you might want to uh, get into more. Well. Um... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear it all. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, really, that's really great. Uh, what I can tell you is, I can tell you the relationship mm-hmm. that having studied with Suzuki Roshi and having been a Zen student for six years with him before he died, and then that very intimate period uh, that he forced me into being the director of the building for about six to eight months. It must have been somewhere that that period. Something I resisted with all, all my body and soul, but he simply would not accept no for an answer. Hmm. Um, and that period actually um, was critical for me because I had an inter- interface with him at a daily level. And I I also saw how he dealt with uh, everyday problems. Uh, and that taught me a lot. They bring to him all the problems as the director of the building that I could not solve. Uh, and some the lower end problems I would deal with myself. I wouldn't bring to him. But all of the issues that were internal stress building when we were all students and living there, um, and I had no way of solving the problems I would bring him. And I would see how he would deal with it, uh, with the issues. That taught me a lot. Well, uh, what sort of problem? Uh, also, another issue that I remember one. I mean, there were many, but I remember one. For instance, you remember that we had a whole lot of, I don't know if you remember them, but a lot of people have building BART. Yeah. The Bay Area Rapid Transit. And those people that were doing heavy lifting and doing that on the, on the construction sites did not want to be vegetarians. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the kitchen was vegetarian. Yeah. And they wanted to cook their meat and their turkeys and, you know, in the back kitchen. Yeah. And there was a lot of stress because the pure, the purest students, uh, didn't want, they thought that was a, uh, a violation of the spirit of, of the place and the practice and though hey where on, on the diet that I'm eating here I I, I don't perform you know I, that's just one of them 
Um, uh, another one would be. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, what was what, what was the do, solution? Uh, he the solution was no solution. He he said we are a vegetarian community, but we accept exceptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are not rigid. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We we understand the issues of these people. We're not going to judge them. So our official, I mean, I'm I'm drawing memory from 50 years ago, but I remember that he basically did not get on a big moral thing about eating meat at all. He recognized the need to keep it under wraps because. A lot of the majority of members of the community did not uh, were very in line with the vegetarian uh, outlook. Uh, But uh, he also said, hey, we've got to cover the needs of these people. And so just figure out the mechanics so that they do it discreetly and let's not give an ideological solution to the problem. Typical his, huh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sort of like not trying to become uh, dogmatic, uh, keeping the spirit of what he wanted to keep going, and uh, at the same time being realistic as to what people needed to do to survive. Yeah. So, And I had a long list of problems like that. The only other one I remember that... Uh, there were two that I remember that were funny. Well, one was when unmarried couples wanted to live in the same room in the building. Uh, and I quite honestly don't remember what his solution was so far in the past. Well, it was allowed. Uh, it was allowed. Yes, it was allowed. Um, and, uh, the other one, the only other one was on the, was little things like he was very nervous when Tatsugami Roshi was about to come. And, hmm. and he was very nervous. He was like, I, I've never had seen him so nervous. So he was very, very asking me all the details of what, uh, you know, telling me details of what he wanted uh, the ceremonies to be and what everybody's attire was to be. And, you know, at a certain point, he said, you think you could wear some ropes? And I'll never forget it because I exploded laughing. I said, you must joke. You must be joking. Me and ropes? <laughs> and he looked at me and he saw how how comic I thought it was that he started laughing too. And he said, yeah, yeah. Okay. I said, look, I'll wear a black turtleneck and, and a gray suit for the big ceremony and I'll be fine. And, but I remember he was nervous, you know, he, he had to keep up appearances with the people from his own back home. Yeah. And given and given that we were a regular in probably every aspect, yeah, uh, that was the moment of stress. Mm. But I, I when I, when I laughed, 
when he asked, when he made that suggestion, I started imitating. I started imitating the way priests uh, settle their robes and get settled and and all that. And I said, "You really want me to do this?" And he started laughing, you know, sort of like he said, "I get it, I get it. Let's let's not go there." <laughs> mm. But you know, over that period is a period in which um, I assimilated material and uh, I, I assimilated um, <clears throat> teachings and attitudes and things that were in practice what he was giving in lectures. But in lectures, it was much more stylized. In, in all of these day-to-day issues, you could see how his mindset was translating into um, actual decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and that was very useful to me. Mm. But, you know, there is certain things that that he said in lectures and stuff that have marked my life so completely. Like he, I'll never, I'll never forget when he said something of the sort of, now I might stylize it a little bit, but basically, because I've repeated this a lot of times, so I'm not sure if these are his exact words, but essentially made a point that every time you make a choice, you have to make it with a hundred percent. You have to put yourself a hundred percent in. Otherwise the magic does not happen. So if you're 99% convinced about doing something, the sort of the energy and the magic does not happen. So that, that, um, one percent is not one percent it's a infinite space between investing your heart and all of yourself as opposed to sort of investing and that he really painted a picture for me of what happens if you invest which is whether you win or you lose, whether it's going to be good. You're going to either learn something if you, if you fail, uh, but you won't feel bad, uh, as opposed to if you do the 99% investment, there is that doubt that sneaks in and it becomes kind of poisonous. And that concept, he made it so clear to me that from that age, everything I did, I asked myself that question. And if I was not 100% in, I didn't do it. (laughs) Mm. And now that I've lived with that mindset 50 years, um, 52 years because he died in 71, um, I have to say that it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really worked. <laughs> yeah. So, and there were many things that he said like that that marked me. Now, you know, it's funny because I, I have not, uh, I wanted to tell you this. I have been, I'm not a traditional Buddhist. 
I am somebody who studied and learned meditation from Suzuki Roshi and brought that practice of breathing with me all through my life. Still do it. And, but I have kind of metastasized that practice in, you know, when I'm in my studio, where I have a huge studio here working, I love my studio here. I'm actually putting an extension outdoors so that I can paint outdoors with a cover. Um, uh, I, the breathing is essential. It's, it's a part of the breathing practice. It's part of thinking, being, uh, feeling, uh, the, the portal of everything is, is breathing. And so, I, when I was young, I used to be just sitting and lotus. Then, you know, my knees are a little bit bad, so it's half lotus and, uh, and all that. But sitting in the traditional Buddhist Zen posture, um, now at 80, uh, that mood or that practice of breathing is part of almost everything in my life. <laughs> Mm. walking, uh, painting, everything, uh, thinking, there is a way to. So, you know, to me, I don't, I have not really, there was a period in which, especially at the time when I was studying at at Zen Center and living at Zen Center and all that, I would study Buddhism per se, but I have not never followed it. So it to me my view is my experience of that teaching through the actual contact with Suzuki Roshi from nineteen sixty four to nineteen seventy one. And you were there, you know what it was like. And um, it also, apart from giving me ways to make decisions in my career and my personality, but it also helped me readjust all of my profound neurosis that I came out of when I left Europe. Because I left Europe because my family was insane Mm. and I couldn't take it. You know, I was born and raised in Rome, and and my mother was a Jungian analyst, and my father was an architect, both very talented people, but they made a life that was a family that was a hell to live in. Mm. And I left at 19. My father gave me a grant. I got on a boat, and I was on my own. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like... Uh, that was it. And and I went from Naples to New York, New York to California, San Francisco, and I made my life there. What <laughs> so, what year yeah, did I you just, leave uh Italy? I left Italy, I left Naples on November of sixty one. Oh. I got on a bus I got on a bus uh to go to San Francisco from New York. Port Authority uh, terminal um, in in um, I know when because of the moment of the year 
uh, it was five minutes or 10 minutes after midnight of the new year of 62. Hmm. So it would be, you know, January 1st, the first 10 minutes of it. Um, I got on a Greyhound from Port Authority to the station on 6th Street and Market, <laughs> mm. <laughs> wherever, wherever the Greyhound station was then. So it, uh, so I arrived in 62. My first contact with Zen Center was uh, when Suzuki Roshi came and gave a lecture to the Art Institute, uh, sponsored by Robert Gove. Yeah. And uh, I remember just, uh, you know, at that time, people didn't travel that much. I hadn't seen many Asian people in Rome. Um, and except that the, that the Japanese embassy was walking distance from my house. So once in a while, I saw a delegation of Japanese coming out of cars and going into the embassy. The <laughs> consulate. I remember that. What? The consulate. The consulate. No, no, it was an embassy. No, no, embassies are in Washington, D.C. Uh, no, I'm talking about Italy. Oh, I, I was back in San Francisco. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm talking about uh, when I was a teenager in Rome. Oh, oh, I um, see. I, I, the, the embassy was about four, blo- four walking blocks from the house. Oh, wow. The Japanese embassy. But the, the phenomenon of tourism didn't exist. Japanese and uh, tourism into Italy did not exist. That happened in the 80s mm. and 90s. Uh, so when I got to San Francisco, and there were a lot of Asians, but then Suzuki Roshi came and he gave this talk in the cafeteria of the San Francisco Art Institute, and he really looked exotic. To me, I mean, mm. I I was already a fish out of water coming from Europe, but that was really extreme. But the things he said were so captivating that you know, first my wife Mary started going to Zen Center, and then she came. She would come home and tell me about it. And then, of course, I was... Oh, Mary. A little bit. You were married then yeah, to Mary? She, yeah, I was. Oh. And and uh, and she started going to Zen Center and would come home and tell me everything about it. And I had a negative reaction to it because she wanted to push me and I didn't want to get pushed. Uh, I was piqued, but I... I just didn't feel like I was going to do this because my wife wanted me to do it. <laughs> so she then decided to go to Tassahara for a summer. And I, when she went to Tassahara, she went to Zen Center and Karagiri Roshi taught me how to meditate. And I thought it was wonderful. Hmm. So I, I started started practice on my own, and uh, that's how I got involved. Hmm. 
eventually, you know, I, and then I moved. Uh, I I don't remember what month, but I started becoming the you know after all those years, I became the director of the building. I think maybe of November '69 in the new building that the center had bought, and maybe spring summer of '71, or maybe summer, or maybe even the beginning of fall. Um, I had moved to my house in Northern California that I had built. I built a house on the ocean in the wilderness with my own hands. And really? I was very anxious. I was very anxious to move there. And that's what, what Suzuki Roshi prevented me to do. I was going to live at Zen Center a couple of months while I was getting set up to move up there to my house. And, and then that's when he sent uh, Yvonne Rand to tell me that she, she wanted me to be a director of the building. And I said, what? I was going to move into the wilderness and finally move into my house that took me three years to build in the summers. And so I postponed that for six to nine months. And I think I moved maybe in 71 in September. But I know that I was in San Francisco um, two or three days before he passed mm. because I went I went to say goodbye to him. And and uh, Dick Baker was very kind. He let me pass. He says, Don't don't stress him, just be there and that's it. And it was very meaningful to me. So that's that part. Um, and he, I don't know what else to tell you other than he had been, well, first of all, he has been a figure that I have painted in some symbolic way all my life. Mm-hmm. So I've always, I've always represented him and I've always had him present. Uh, there was a moment in which I was in an extreme crisis in 79. Everything was going wrong in my life. And uh, everything. And and I was going to lose the studio I was in. The clients canceled their orders. I was desperate. And uh, something happened. You know, I had one more month to be in the studio before they would evict me. And having tried everything to solve all my financial problems and everything, I failed. So I said, what are you going to do this month? I mean, you're going to have to get out of here and go and live with a friend and then remake your life. And so I said, what I'm going to do is, what is it that you need? I said, I, I, I need to spend a little time with Suzuki Roshi. So I said, just do it. So I made this big watercolor that then became a... Um, a stained glass window and the stained glass window ended up in the Metropolitan Museum, but the watercolor is still with me in my studio here. And it's four feet by five, by five and a half feet approximately. And it's an image of the silhouette of Suzuki Roshi with a universal side. And it was a way to, to be with him. 
you know, and and since I could not physically go see him, I, I did this, and I would work every day, and it took me about two and a half weeks to do this huge watercolor. And true to Suzuki Roshi teaching, obviously everything that was happening to me, not good, was because of my bad energy. And you can't fix you can't fix that energy um, tweaking it. Change. So what happened was when I started doing this single watercolor, which was going to be my swan song in the studio, everything started changing in my life for the good. Mm. I was paying very close attention to painting with a tiny watercolor brush around every star. And I just got into that world. And by kind of changing the vibrational field, you might say, around me, the world changed. And all of a sudden, clients appeared, money appeared. I was out of it. Hmm. <laughs> and he had said, I mean, one of the things that he had said was that I remember, if you want to change the world, change yourself. And to me, that was the living proof of that, of that mm. teaching. Mm. I literally, I did not do it by going out there and selling my artwork. I did, that hadn't worked. <laughs> but sitting in my studio and turning my attention inward to something that I loved and made sense to me actually turned my world around. So, you know, it, there are so many ways that his presence has, has affected my life, but mm -hmm. it is not, it is not like Buddhism per se. It's, mm -hmm my relationship to the practice guided by this man. Mm. It's I, when I go into a city, I don't go into the Buddhist temples. Um, and so I don't know what to say, but I don't go into the Christian temples either. <laughs> Even though, unless there's some very interesting art and, <clears throat> In both mm -hmm. that I might want to look at, in, in which case, of course, I'll go into any temple of any religion because I'm interested in in the architecture and the and the art in those spaces. But mm -hmm. in terms of my how do you say it, my so I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but. Do you have any questions? Yeah, your first um, stained glass uh, work. How did you get into stained glass? And I think I know what your first stained glass pieces were. Well, 
Uh, why don't you talk about they that? Are in the, they're in the doorways of the Zen Center between the kitchen and the living room. Yeah, the dining room. That, and the dining room, yeah. Uh, yes. I, that is really where I connected the dots on what Suzuki Roshi and how he affected my life because by I have to make a premise when I when I went from Italy to to California all my dream was to be a painter a good painter you know I mean let's take a cliche Picasso Pollock you know for me I Dali um, a successful painter in that respect when I went from Naples to New York and then stayed in New York a month and then went to San Francisco from there. I went I went to the Museum of um, Modern Art and there was an exhibition, probably the last exhibition of stained glass there. Um, but it was of Marc Chagall's windows for hmm. the Jerusalem for for a site in Jerusalem. So they made them in France, these windows, sent them to New York to be shown in, uh, shown in the, um, in the modern art museum. And then from the modern art museum, they went to Jerusalem, to the university, to the temple in the university. So, in, so I was blown away by those stained glass windows. And I thought that, the windows were more beautiful than Chagall's paintings. Not because they were any different, but because the light and the glass made the experience so much more powerful. Mm. So that was filed in my mind when I was 19 years old, and then I forgot about it. When I graduated from college, I got a BFA and then an MFA, a Master's of Fine Art, and I was about to move. And Suzuki Roshi caught me and told me, stay here and direct this building. I was so frustrated because I couldn't, I didn't have a studio. I couldn't do art. So by chance, I bumped into a reading that somebody was teaching stained glass in the evenings. So I said, ah, this is something I can do. I can go in the evenings three times a week to a place on Portrayal Hill, and there is a guy that is teaching stained glass. Who? Those those two windows that are in the doors are my first stained glass windows done in that class. And what do they portray? The the hands of Suzuki Roshi joined and the hands of Katagiri Sensi joined in Gasho, you know, in the, in the, and um, <coughs> I also incorporated the defect that into the ones of Suzuki Roshi. He had a finger that he couldn't bend. Yeah. So I portrayed that too. And Suzuki Roshi thought it was funny. And I showed it to him. And he said, ah, you actually actually did more finger as mm-hmm. part of the... I said, yes, I did. And, you know, it was my first thing. And so, ironically, 
I got involved with glass because I was forced to be there. <laughs> and there, there is a connection there that I had never made until you and I got in touch with each other again. And I said, I never really put together that I had a whole career and a whole life in glass, you know, in Europe and the States and Asia and all this. And it all started because I couldn't paint. And Suzuki Roshi uh -huh. took away my painting studio and I snuck out and started doing glass. And that, that then had a logic of its own. <laughs> so, uh, the city center has on, on the, on the, uh, swinging doors going to and from the kitchen to the dining room with a, a living sort of area, uh, in the back. Uh, one of them has Suzuki. One of them has Katagiri. Uh, then if, if you go out into the hall at the end of the hall, there's a sort of, Altar, which is, I don't know what altar that is. The hall altar, the kitchen altar, or maybe it's the kitchen yeah, altar. It, and above there. Is there was a, yes, I can tell you about that window. That window is, is between the kitchen and the entry hallway. Well, when you enter the building, you can see all the way down the hallway to that very bright spot. Yeah. Now, that window, I can tell you, was my first serious achievement. Um, it, it must have been 1972 that I did it. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened is that I realized that that spot was so well backlit for stained glass to really shine. And, and, and be beautiful. You have to get strong backlighting and a dark space in the front. Then a stained glass window will, will really show you the, its beauty. Mm. Like in dark churches, the windows are very bright, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was going to be a wonderful, uh, a wonderful place for me to do a window and the window is uh, there is a sculpture in the de Young Museum of a Buddha hand so the the image is a Buddha hand with a cloth mm. uh, it's a fragment obviously it must have been a huge statue and I love that hand so I took that hand that that was, I thought was a magnificent sculpture, and I imagined the fingers and the hand to be blue, and then on the cloth, I put some of the symbolism of traditional Buddhism. I think there is a wheel of life, or I don't have it in front of me. So I oh, there's a footprint. There's a footprint in there, which would be the footprint of the Buddha, and <clears throat> so I made that window and I donated. That's it. And it's still there. Huh. Yep, it sure is. I'm sure that the people at the center have no clue as to the value of the piece. That's okay. 
Well, I was the work leader. Or the other with, two. Yeah, I was the work leader uh, then. And, um, uh, yeah, we didn't know the value of you. There was more. There was more than that. There were there were two or three large pieces. Yeah, one went to uh, to Tassahara, but it burnt down with the with the, with the fire in Tassahara. Right, and one one went over to the uh, three forty page uh, building, you know, like two buildings down, and is in the entrance hall there. Right. It was the dawn of my career as yeah. an artist, as, as a glass artist. Yeah. So those those pieces I'm very attached to. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, um, when you were in Italy and uh, uh, when you were young, growing up, before you came to Zen Center, did you what what sort of uh, sense did you have of like uh, spiritual practice or, you know, uh, how comfortable were, were you with, uh, like, uh, knowing what it's all about and that sort of thing? Did you feel any calling or anything like that? Or, and, and if so, was it mainly the, the solution, uh, was it directed toward art primarily? Well, primarily directed toward art, but I always had a streak when I was young, I have to say, when I was young, before I came to the state, of a kind of meditative spiritual space. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are in Rome, that space, you can find it in a physical environment it would be very early churches from from the uh, 400 from the 500s after Christ there is a few medieval, even before medieval uh, small churches that I used to like and visit and they're very simple they're, you could say that they're very Zen in a way they, they were not richly decorated they were very severe, uh, you might not severe in terms of harsh, but they were simple spiritual environments with gardens. And I used to, by instinct, love being in those spaces. But, you know, the Catholic Church in Rome is like you're at the center of the most Baroque and most rich. Uh, I don't think of the Vatican or the Vatican extensions into the reality of being a Roman as anything spiritual. It's, it's very powerful. Uh, and, you know, I've always had my, my problems with Christianity. I just, there is something about it that, that I have a very hard time with. Mm-hmm. Not the, not teachings per se but my god the history of Christianity is the bloodbath mm. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and the history of greed go hand in hand so mm. even though yes there, there is 
definitely something there, and, and especially in the art, it's, there is something to be said to the art of the Middle Ages, where some of the figures of Christ were magnificently ascetic, and there was definitely... So I, I was subject to a certain amount of fascination, and but it certainly didn't blossom when I was there, and and... And I've always had a bit of a hard time with any organized religion because I remember even at Zen Center we were the first the first generation of the, the first generation of students under a teacher that was bringing a new fresh a new fresh way of seeing the life life to us. And even within us, I remember that when I became the, the the director of the building, I got a lot of flack from people that didn't think that I should be that and wanted my place. And you know, it was it was ridiculous. I didn't want that place, but some people really did, <laughs> and 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 therefore. You know that the beginnings of the mixing of spirituality with personal ambition was already there. I mean, you know, I remember Reb coming up to me and Reb Anderson and saying, "Hey, you're coming up too fast." <laughs> what? I want to be an artist. What? This is a terrible thing. What are you giving me this this thing, this attitude? You know, so it to me it was already I could see the the makings of of an institution, and all institutions are institutions. That's right. Occasionally, and and occasionally within the institutions there are wonderful people that emerge and manage to uh, go beyond the institution because they have a vision and a calling. That's right. But but other times an institution is an institution. You know, you're a bishop, you're a cardinal, you could even become pope one day, you know, if you're in the Catholic Church or, you know, or Monsignor. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. I mean, that's the same thing. The funny thing about it is that I had never seen Suzuki Roshi in that worried loop until he was waiting for Tatsugami. And I think that visit from Tatsugami must have created a lot of stress on him. Yeah. Because it brought him back all of the power struggles of Japan and who was who and who has power and yeah. all that stuff that ultimately he did not really care much about because he was spending his time with a bunch of Americans who were getting up at five in the morning <laughs> and and saying thousand. Yeah. And you know, and they were Everybody, from Tommy Dorsey to you to me to 
to uh, what's his name? The guy who started Apple. Steve you know, Jobs. He, Steve Jobs, it came a couple of times, and then I think he gravitated more toward Los Altos and Chino Sensi. But what I'm saying is we were normal people, and he was interested in us because we were really interested in in the essence of what Suzuki Roshi was teaching. And he also found in us people that were not prejudiced. So, like, we were very naive, and that was our strength. Um, if you think of somebody who wants to go into the seminary in Europe, in, in, in Italy, for instance, to become a priest, there is a whole series of preconceived ideas, and, you know, you're not experiencing Christianity, you're in experiencing bureaucracy yeah and then within that bureaucracy you're experiencing a little bit of teaching genuine teaching mm-hmm. but the rest is a career yeah uh, so i think he was really interested in you and i know he was really interested in the, in the freshness in the in the relevancy of the practice without any goals in mind, just practice. Yeah. You know, I, I have learned something that I teach to my students and I picked it up from his attitude. You know, his attitude was, it doesn't matter. If you sit, you sit. If you're successful in sitting or not successful, the fact that you're sitting and that you're making an effort to practice is the thing that counts. That's right. So I translate that to my students because a lot of my students feel like they're bad artists and they're never going to make it or they're never going to do something really beautiful or something like that. And I say, no. That's the wrong attitude. Just the fact that you sit down and you start making a stroke, a painting, whatever, that act in itself is a sacred act. There is no judgment on it. It's the intrinsic value of the attitude of making a brushstroke. That is its content. And don't forget that that is what it's all about. It's not so much about the result. Mm. And I picked that up straight from from his teaching about practice. And, and it, it makes complete sense. And I said, you know, I, I have all of these students all over the world, and some of them have paid are essentially at the level of a PhD in art. Some of them have had museum shows, very advanced. And some of them are just starting. They're Mm. just starting being artists at the age of 55 or 65. They're retired. And I say to them, wonderful. Don't feel bad. This is wonderful. Just be there. 
So do you have any more questions? Is there anything else you want me to? Well, you were, you were on a roll there. (laughs) Uh, uh, you were talking about, uh, and, and a wonderful point, uh, uh, that, you know, you have many students, some at a very high level, some just beginning. And, um, so you're, you're, you're talking about taking the goal orientation out of their approach. Um, and, and you talked about how what it, at Zen Center, it's been, and I think it's really true. Back, back in the early days, we weren't, most people were not thinking a career oriented some work. And, and, and you mentioned, I'd say, uh, what, uh, Suzuki's a big problem he thought, uh, or a big problem that especially the men had was, uh, competition. Uh, but, uh, you were talking about when, when an artist, when you, when you make a stroke, don't think, you know, if the painting's going to be good or bad or anything like that. That stroke, once you start doing that, this is, you know, uh, a profound act that's beyond judgment yeah, or something it's like pure that. pure energy. It's pure presence. It's pure, it's energy. It's presence. It's life. You have no judgment. There is no judgment to be had. I tell my students, it's completely okay to be a beginner. And it's completely okay to be, uh, to be experienced. But the issue is not if you're a beginner or experienced, skilled or unskilled. The issue is what you're really putting in with your presence. If you're capable of investing your presence, your sense of self, your who you are, no matter how awkward it is, it's genuine. It's it's. It's worth doing. It's worth being. And I know it, especially in the field of art. And people are way too result-oriented. And the real, the best results, when you look back at the history of art, it's obvious that the people that were, that made masterpieces, uh, were totally not there to make a masterpiece. They were there to have an experience, mm-hmm. which is an entirely different attitude. And mm-hmm. then that experience was so well done that, you know, uh, it, it turned out into a beautiful thing. But actually, in my experience, where I have done some beautiful pieces. By the time it's done, it's over. I can show it and put it on my resume if if a museum buys it or a big collector buys it. Wonderful. It helps my pay my bills, my life. It all it all keeps the mill turning. But once that experience is finished of the making, for me the thing is dead. Mm-hmm. I have to prepare to do another one. Mm-hmm. And the focus, it's like, let's say you sit Zazen 
and you manage the, the, the impossible task of sitting browsing for 40 minutes and not thinking, just breathing. Great. I mean, kudos to you. But can you then take that and hang it on the wall and say, oh, that's perfect. Uh-huh. No, you've got to sit browsing again next evening. <laughs> and maybe you're too worried about everything and you can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter it's the act of sitting that carries the content at least and i translate that in art in very specific ways and it's really this kind of mindset that i've learned with practice translates very well and it's immensely useful to me because students have to when they get into art they have all kinds of terrible barriers that are totally mind made they're total personality fears you know (laughs) and, and this kind of mindset that I learned by practicing with Roshi is re- has really helped me in teaching, and especially recently, where I'm teaching, uh, I'm dedicating kind of two years to do a lot of online courses, mm. and it's very it, it has been immensely valuable. Hmm. Mm. Um, by the way, I have. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, go on. You say, by the way. Yeah, I have a very peculiar document, which I was going to discuss with you. Um, but I have transcripts of Suzuki Roshi's lectures that were made by Mary. Um, and they are on carbon paper on a typewriter. Well, can and you scan them and send them to me? Yeah, I'll do. I'll do that. I'll yeah, do just that. do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I'll. Uh, we can check. Uh, uh, there's people I work with. We can check right away and see if there are lectures we have. Uh, there were many lectures that were lost. Many tapes were lost. Uh, so really? Oh yeah. These, these, these might actually. Uh, um, these might actually be very valuable. And and uh, I, I've always had a difficult time thinking that I should go to Zen Center. I, I don't know. It's like I'll 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 send you some. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Zen Center. You know, you were talking about institutions. Is uh, I mean, they would probably. Uh, deal with those okay, but it's risky. Uh, Sin Center's always involved in what they're doing at the moment, which, uh, and, and institutions mainly try to preserve the institution. And most preservation, uh, uh, that's really important of the Dharma is done by individuals. So I would urge you to send it yeah. to me, and then I will send it to Zen Center, but I will have a copy of it. And uh, I make everything, 
available to the public right away. Uh, and at Zen Center, uh, they tend to think of it as, uh, you know, something for, uh, you know, uh, to make a course out of or to, you know, okay. something yeah. like that. And, and, and it can get stuck away. And forgotten. Yeah, let let's let's keep let's I'll I'll send you I'll send you I'll give you I'll I'll start having a flow of of uh, of energy between us uh, on on this topic. But but there is a lot of material. Well, uh, I'm very interested in it. You know, if if you want to take it to a place and and have it, uh, you know, uh, it, like if there's the uh, Kinko's the equivalent of that there, photocopy yeah. place. Uh, uh, I'd be happy to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's not a question of money. Uh, uh, let me get organized. What I might want to do is I might want to number the pages um, with yeah. a pencil. Yeah. Because what these are, uh, are that Mally used to be one of the people that transcribed for Zen Center. Yeah. And I think I think she transcribed these tapes and kept a carbon copy. And I think what I have is all the carbon copies. Wow. And you can they're they're legible? They're all typewritten. Yeah. Carp, carbon copies um Wow, good. All right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, very legible. Yeah, okay, good. Good. Well, uh, eager but to see them. I won't should, forget we this. Should, uh, we, should, we should, what? I said, I won't forget this, you know. If I don't hear about it, I'll be bugging you about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, no. I mean, as a matter of fact, maybe you should, uh, you should think about how to, the consequences of this, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, think about it. And, and, and I will do what you asked me to do. Uh, I will have them scanned. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about probably, I don't know, 150 pages. Good. Well, uh, and we'd check them to see if there's anything in them we don't have. Uh, and uh, every, yeah. every once in a while, we get something uh, new that way. Uh, I, uh, uh, a librarian at Zen Center, or maybe she was in the office at the time, showed me a box uh, in the library storage that had like 60 Los Altos lectures, uh, most of which were not in the archive. That was like, I don't know, 15 no, more than 15 years ago. And I stayed up all night uh, there at the city center photocopying them. Uh, and, and there were two, two, uh, yeah, they had, it was, it was like the, oh, well, I won't go into details about that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, well, I'm very well, interested I'll, in that. Well, yeah, I will. And uh, um, what, else do you want to touch base on? What? Say that again? What else do you want to ask me or touch base on? Oh, okay. Um, well, I, you know, 
when when you uh after 1971 uh when uh Suzuki Roshi died um you know, what was the trajectory of your life after that, you know, and uh, leading to uh, that magnificent uh, work you did in Taiwan? And uh, and you were spending time living in Taiwan. I mean, they gave you a whole place to live in a studio. Uh, yeah, they did. Uh, let me tell you, right after, I have to tell you this. I did teach meditation for a little bit in this Redwoods Monastery that was near me uh, in Northern California. They gave me a room and uh, a kind of a, this was a Cistercian monastery of nuns. And and, uh, Mother Miriam was really into, um, into Zen and um, and uh, so we became friends, and I was asked if I would teach meditation to a few people. And I had, a, uh, for a period of maybe a year or two, when I went to live there, on Saturday mornings, uh, we used to sit. Mm. And uh, I didn't give any lectures or anything of the sort, but I used to sit and organize the the sitting and the 40-minute uh, intervals and then the, the, the walking meditation. Uh, <clears throat> so that was something I did right after when I was living in the wilderness, and that would have been five or six miles from where I was living out there. Where? Um, that would be uh, White Thorn uh, on the borderline in, in what is called the Lost Coast. Oh, yeah. Um, it would be the last, I was in the last mile of Mendocino County before uh, it turned into Humboldt County. Uh-huh. And there is no highway one there. It's the one place in the United States in, in, on the West Coast where the high, highway one does not run along the coast because the terrain is so rugged. Mm. And, um, and, uh, so I spent a few years in the wilderness here that were very, very, very dramatic for me because I was living alone in a place that was like no no phones, no electricity. Uh, the nearest person, the nearest person to me was probably the monastery that was six or seven miles by air, but by by road, it was probably more like 10. Um, and... Um, so that was sort of a confrontation with myself as a cosmic level, because mm. it was really living in the wilderness. I, I learned skills that Native Americans would would have had, um, how not to get lost in the woods and all stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the one thing that really changed my life living out there was was experiencing the sky without a city at night with no moon. It was like unreal. I mean, it, 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 in the darkness, the, the, the cosmos looks amazing. You can actually, uh, if you spend enough time looking at it, you can actually feel the three-dimensional 
disk of the galaxy if you if you spend a couple of hours and just look at it uh, you you actually can experience the, the the Milky Way as a dish and you can sort of see uh, in so- looking southward the center where would the center of the galaxy be which is a little bit more luminous and then you see the branch and and it's it's amazing mm. that kind of changed my sense of what life is about sort of getting in touch with that level of cosmic dimension just feeling it not at the level of thinking but of feeling um, you know the the moon coming up and the sun going down and and an eclipse or all of this became not something theoretical uh, you could actually see the balls in the sky and and feel how it's like a feels like a, uh you know the you feel all of these energies that actually are the, are the stuff of of the cosmos, but that we, on a daily basis, we don't really get into. So that was my first step after I left Zen Center, and it was a critical one. Then I went to San Francisco and, and started my career, and glass was it. And from studio to studio, um, I started first doing projects for people around the Bay Area and then Bay Area and and Los Angeles and then primarily homes. And then uh, the next decade, I started doing public commissions, um, still doing my own personal artwork, uh, devoid of uncommissioned. And then, you know, that commission thing culminated when... In nineteen in two thousand one, I was asked to do the huge dome in Taiwan that I designed in my studio here in Mexico, where wow. I'm now, hmm. but that I fabricated in Germany uh, at a studio called Derricks near Frankfurt because they had an amazing staff, and that that piece is a thousand one hundred and fifty two panels, one image of a universe sort of spinning with figures and and symbols and uh, <coughs> it's called the Dome of Light. If you want to check it out on the internet it's called the Dome of Light, Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Oh yeah, I've got, on, I've got it on I've got it on I've got a section on cuke.com about you and you know, it links to that. But, so, uh, uh, I mean, I I had a career, you know, doing stuff in Europe and 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 in the states. And and as every decade passed, I did more relevant things. But you know, I've had a career, and now I've invented a language which I am really working very hard codify so that it can be useful to other people and right now I mean I hope my health holds um, after I finish this project of, of codifying this language and perhaps putting out some of my personal uh, content that is personally 
I think is personally relevant, like this one, Finding Your Own Voice, which I'm doing right now, and it's going to be out by, by the end of March. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, apart, once I finish doing this sort of externalizing my, my knowledge, I hope to have a long period of, of being in my studio here and doing a last generation of works in my 80s that will be totally loose, meaning in every way, some transgressive, transgressive, some mystical, some whatever I feel. I, I don't feel like I'm not trying to, to fill my resume anymore. I, my resume is complete. All I want to do is, is be here for the rest of the time that I am going to be here. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of what I can tell you. I mean, there is, there is a book called, uh, that is in Chinese and English, published in Taiwan on the, on the, on the dome. And the book is called, um, I have to look at it because I have to, I have forgotten the title. Uh, it's called, uh, the dome of light, a gateway, a gateway to dreaming. The, uh, uh, the, a tour and the story of the Formosa Boulevard station in Kaohsiung. And there is a small autobiography in that. The book is written in first person with, with a couple of uh, introductions by an art critic and, and the Italian ambassador to Taiwan or the cultural representative of Italy. Mm-hmm. Technically, technically, he's not an ambassador. Uh, and uh, and then it has a small autobiography. I talk about Suzuki Roshi in the book. Uh, and then there is the story of this, of what it took to do this. And it was like a five-year effort. Um, you know, then I published many other books. I published, I published a book of poetry and drawings called Mutant. Um, Mutant, mutant, mutant. Yes, M U T A N T, and it's in print. You can get it at Amazon. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I think it's one of the most. Uh, that is that is me. You know, it's like everything else is my artwork, but. That book is born out of the fact that somebody convinced me to write, to turn my personal writing into a book. Mm-hmm. And so that is like going behind uh, the curtains mm. of an artist's life. <laughs> mm. um, so in a way, it's one of my favorite things I've ever did. Oh, well, I'll, I'll get it right away. Um, can I get it as a Kindle? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I not that I know of, but yeah. I, nobody's ever tried. Yeah. Um, the um, let's see. What was I going to ask you? Uh, uh, that the uh, 
the the Dome of Life book that's on Amazon, right? Yeah, there is there is two major books on Amazon. There is uh, Narcissus Qualiata Archetypes and Visions in in Glass and Light or Light and Glass. I don't remember, but that is the main book on my career. It's it's um, it's uh, published in 2013, and it has the best of the best of 40 years of my work. Oh. Um, then the the in 2019, I published um, I published Mutant. Oh, uh, through the same publishing house, and. In 2021, uh, in 2020, and actually in 2019, uh, the other book, uh, The Dome of Light, A Gateway to Dream, came out in Taiwan. But, and I was going to go to Taiwan to inaugurate it, but that was the week that everybody shut down travel. And the big event that it was planned under the dome for the book was canceled because of COVID. Mm. So that that is what what happened there. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was so sorry. I haven't been to Taiwan since then. But uh, mm. the, but, uh, the 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 autobiography that in uh, that book uh, can you send me a a text of that you have yeah that? absolutely yeah, yeah do that I would you that text somewhere in my computer and gladly i will uh yeah I will, I will share it with you anything like that you can send um uh well actually you know i can send you my poetry i can send you mutant it's on a pdf oh um, good do I that you mutant on a pdf and i bet you i can send you um I can send you my uh, the, the the copy of that book uh, uh, of the, of the book um, of of, uh, of of the Chinese and American book, uh, the Dome of Light, uh, a Gateway to Dreaming. Hmm. Well, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I'll send them to you that way. That way, you don't have to go through um, all kinds of uh, stuff. Um, yeah. I'll do that. Oh. Um, the, 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 the PDF of Mutant, I can do that uh, really easily. The, 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 the file, the PDF for the Chinese and American book, I might have to label a little bit in my computer to find it, but I will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, um... now you tell me something about Who's listening to all this? Where uh, and how many people and what is their, what is, how are they all tied together? Well, um, I don't, uh, you know, I don't promote my uh, podcasts. Uh, I'd, I'd say, you know, uh, probably a few hundred people would hear this. I don't ask people to like and share and spend time promoting or anything. Uh, but, um, uh, it, it will be, uh, you know, I'll, uh, it, it, you know, I'll send you a link to it as soon as it comes out. It'll be on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a bunch of places automatically. Um, 
and then uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll feature it on uh, my my uh, What's New blog, and uh, that goes to Facebook, Cuke Archives, and uh, you know, I'm, I, I'll mention it in my private Facebook, and uh, it'll be mentioned on Instagram, uh, but. The main thing is it'll be in the, it'll, you know, uh, it's part of the oral written history, the massive one of, uh, you know, what I call Cuke Archives uh, doing our bit to pres- help preserve the legacy of Shinju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And so it's just, uh, it's going to be there for people as long as we have a future, uh, I hope, uh, to, um, to listen to and I'll, I'll get it transcribed. Uh, and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so, um, all right. It, it, it will be available, you know, when, when, you know, you already have a section on cube.com. Uh, so it will be available in the future for people to go listen to it or, uh, I I don't have these podcasts transcribed yet. That's one thing I'm looking into, um, and uh, you know I I have I have limited funds, and even though I have people who put a lot of time into helping me, uh, they're busy doing other things. So I'm I'm not asking them to help with the transcribe. But basically, need to do the first pass of transcribing with um, uh, voice recognition. Uh, some of the Voice recognition software now is extremely good, and then it needs to be gone over. Uh, so, okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, Zinnies, uh, people, I don't know, any anybody who who does a, a Google search on you will run into it probably. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about it is that once you have it all together, I will be actually activating more of my social. Uh, I just hired a manager to deal with all of my social media accounts, and he's he just starting. Oh so boy, do I need that! <laughs> I, I I do. I, it took a long time for me to, to 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 do this step, but I have the right person now. And Good. So within the next four or five months, all of my media will be streamlined, and everything will be up to date, and. And so if, if if you will give me a link, I will definitely put a link into into my system that will get you uh will get you people listening to this. Oh yeah, sure. Um uh yeah, um this depends on which link you want. Uh the the um the home is Podbean. Uh, but it'll be on YouTube and, um, okay. uh, it may be, you know, YouTube might be the best link. Uh, uh, but, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, um, uh, okay. it'll be mentioned on, there'll be a, a link to it on Twitter. I mean, those things are all automatic. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah. All right. And, uh, um, so, where are you in Bali? Sanur. It's, it's on the uh, okay. edge of Denpasar in the, the, 
It's on the edge of the busy touristy expat south, but it's a, a lot less um, uh, busy and crowded than um, uh, the rest of it around here. Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I, I need. I, I, I want to be uh, near the action and near tech support and stuff like that. And I, I don't like getting too. F- I've lived in the country a lot, and that you know, then then I have to drive and stuff. I don't drive anymore. <laughs> I mean, I can drive. All right. Uh, but okay. Mm. Well, this is uh, this is certainly a surprise. When is your book? When is your audio book of his lectures going to be ready? The audio book of his lectures. Well, there's not an audio book. Oh, it's going to be a book called Sahara Stories. All his lectures and all the audio and everything are, are at shunyusuzuki.com. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, that's been, shunyusuzuki.com has been going since about 2009, I guess. Uh, yeah. And it just keeps being updated. And it links to, um, there's, uh, other, uh, like Zen Center and especially a group called Engage Wisdom has worked on his lectures on the audio and transcripts. So it links to, uh, their versions. Uh, I don't think we link to Zen Center so much because they, you know, they, they don't have continuity and their links will go bad and, uh, uh but Engage Wisdom, uh, has, uh, you know, a good, uh, collection of them, but everything, everything, uh, we've got on juniorsuzuki.com. We, we don't have one version. We have every version of it that we can find of everything, right? So there'll be, there might be three or four different transcripts or, or three different audio files. Um, so it's like an archive. You know, one of these days I'd like to make a thing of of listening to some of his lectures from his voice. Yeah. That you know, because I have your book, I have the other books, um, I have almost every book that 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 has come out on him, except for the last two you you mentioned. Yeah, those last two, Zen uh, is right here, and Zen is right now. Uh, Shinyu Suzuki is listed as the author and me as the editor, although it's just my collection of people's memories of what he said or things that happened with him. Yeah, but it's so good to hear your voice. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's good to hear yours, too, and uh, talk about all this and... Uh, um, yeah, I was really, um, uh, uh, pleased when you said you'd do a podcast because, um, uh, I really enjoyed, uh, the interview, doing the interview I have with you on, uh, com, And then you gave that talk at Zen Center, uh, I don't know, yes. 12 years ago or yes, something. Yeah, then you set it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From afar. <laughs> from, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe was I already here in Bali when I did that? 
Yeah, you were, I think. But I gave two lectures. Yeah, so it wasn't. Tw- I, I yeah, we're in two. our 10th year now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I haven't left. I just stay here. Yeah, uh, traveling wife, becomes a little <laughs> bit more complicated at our age. I assume that you're more or less my age. How old are you? I turned 78 a few days ago. Okay, so you're a little bit younger than me. Yeah. You're two years younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, listen, it, it's, it, it's been good. Yeah, I think this has been good. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, let's stay in touch with the uh, email and everything. I'll be eager to get those lectures. I'll be eager to get any links or, you know, that, that, uh, any, you know, that PDF of that book and anything else you can send me. Yes, I will make sure you get all this material. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. You take care. Uh, Narcissus, uh, really. Same thing, same thing here. Take care, David. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thanks a lot, Narcissus. That was really great. Uh, it was really great talking with you. I had a couple of things I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you something that happened. Back when I was work leader and Narcissus said, uh, uh, he he had given all his original stained glass work to Zen Center. It was not it was not only those two wonderful hand uh, pieces that he did for the swinging doors between the kitchen and the dining room at the city center in San Francisco. There were maybe there were just I think there were three others. And Bill Lane and I were unloading them from the van. And there was a carpet, a layer of carpet between each one. And I stupidly, after we took the first one out and then loaded it or took it where it was going to go in the uh, city center, we came, you know, and then we took the second one out. Of course, right there on, on that street, you couldn't leave something unguarded. So... We probably had to take it out, lock the van, take it into the building. Uh, maybe we had a third person helping us with the door. At one point, I think when there was only one left there with the carpet over it, I got uh, confused. This on, this sort of thing doesn't only happen in my uh, senior years. And I stepped right on in the middle of it. And I remember we were cracking jokes about cracking the stained glass windows we were we were moving, which made it even worse. And it had to go back to Narcissus to get fixed. And he said he'd do it. But of course, he was a little pissed. I imagine I never heard he was. He didn't say he was when I saw him. Robert didn't have the money. I mean, he was doing this as part of... Uh, you know, a class that he was doing. It's how he got into it was because he didn't have any money. So he needed $100 to fix the uh, stained glass window that I broke. My apologies. So Zen Center asked me to pay for it. And, you know, that wasn't going to be a problem. And I had uh, 
I, I'd been pretty generous with my meager uh, amount of money I uh, had from my family with Zen Center. I really had nothing else I wanted to do with it but help start Tassar and everything. But they wanted me to pay for that. And I thought about it and I thought, does a business ask employees to pay for for a damage when they're working there? Uh, no, they don't do that, but this isn't a business. This is a community. You know, when you hear, oh, we're all family, <laughs> we're all a community or something, <laughs> don't worry. That means that it's going to be to the advantage of the um, business or the institution. So uh, I didn't really, but I, I just didn't do it. I thought, no, Zen Center should pay for it. I'm, I'm working for Zen Center. I'm working here. I'm getting practically nothing. I'm getting, a, you know, a stipend, and I'm working in the building. I probably didn't even take a stipend. I don't think I needed it. But um, And I didn't have a big thing about it being a matter of principle. I just didn't do anything. So finally, Richard Baker talked to me, and he said, you know, they keep talking about this in board meetings. Why don't you just pay for it? I went, all right. But I'm getting back at them now. <laughs> How many years later? That was 1972. I'd say that was, what, 50, 51 years later? Um, yeah, I've been holding that in all these years. <laughs> anyway, it did get fixed, and it went up. And they're still there, as we talked about. Yeah, they're great. Oh, I just have to tell you, that reminds me of another thing. There was a guy who came to Green Gulch the next year when I was working later there. And and uh, we were working together. He was brand new. He'd just come in. And he was good at working. And uh, uh, Ken Sawyer and I were fixing up bullpens to be our our family units up at the end of Spring Valley. Uh, when you walk into Green Gulch, it's the valley up to the left. And it was at the very end. And uh, it was, you know, he spent months on it and had com a compost privy. Oh, it's beautiful, incredible work. We did a lot of, a lot of, uh, we spent a lot of time doing like mm, artistic type work and, you know, nice woodwork. And, oh, I had a whole, oh, I can't get into that now. Pardon me. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, after it's already a tangent. So this this guest student that was there, he had a really good skill saw, and I was working on some stuff. I asked him if I could use it, and he said, "Yeah." He said, or it might have been a drill or something. I think it was a skill saw. He said, "Yeah, uh, you can use it. I've, I'm, you know, I've got to go, uh, you know, to chanting class or wherever." And if anything happens to it, I want you to pay for it. I said, oh, you, don't worry. If anything happens to it, you, uh, Green Gulch will take care of it. He said, no, I want you to pay for it. <laughs> he was rather headstrong. <laughs> so that, that uh, idea not only comes from management, but from fellow workers. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, I really appreciated that. Let me tell you, Narcissus Robert Gualiatis, um 
puke page. There is tons of stuff. There's a lot of memories of Shunyu Suzuki and links to different things. Um, uh, he's been an incredibly productive person, and uh, uh, he has, he's, he's great at, 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 you know, storytelling and telling what happened to him. So um, anyway, appreciate him coming on. I appreciate your listening. And uh, until we meet again, this is DC Poobav, Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Dogat Pandita and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening.